Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to have you here, and um, it's good to just gather together and worship the Lord. And I thought that was, I don't know, that last one hit home for me. Uh, in the past couple of weeks, we've been in a new series, and it's a prayer in worship series. And part of our desire in this is that we would be intentional in this new year to make sure that we turn our eyes back to the Lord. And it's kind of an act of dedicating the whole year to the Lord by saying, Lord, as we come into this year, we want to intentionally set aside time. We want to uh, have plenty of opportunity to be in your presence just to worship, just to seek you, just to hear from you. And so as we come before the Lord, we want to be intentional about asking him to fill us with his spirit, to guide us with his spirit as an act of humble worship. It's our desire to move any distraction that's in our life and get rid of it so that we can simply enter into his presence and be diligent about knowing what it means to love and serve God and to take on and seek after that heart of God that he wants to give us. So we all understand what distraction is, and we know what it means to lack consistency in what is important, right? So in this series, as an act of humble worship, we want to draw near to the Lord and ask him that he would give us hearts, that he would give us eyes that are focused on him, focused on what he has for us, that we would be renewed, that we would be unwavering in our commitment to him and ensuring that all distraction has been dealt with. And so as we jump in this morning, I just want to invite you to pray with me as we dedicate this time to him. Lord, we want to see your name lifted high. Lord, we want to know you and we want to experience your presence. We want to be guided by you and we want to be filled by your spirit. Lord, I pray that in this year you would help us to know what it means to rest in your presence to receive your mercy and grace day after day, to have a hunger for you, a desire for you, like never before. Lord, I pray that in us you would do a work where you would bring a fresh move of yourself in us. I pray that you would help us to make you our top priority in our lives. I pray that we would no longer hang on to ways of the world, but that we would make it a priority to be in your presence. So Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray that you would move among us, that you would move in us, and that you would draw us closer to yourself this morning. In your name, amen. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. We're going to jump right into this. But as we read this, um, I want to challenge you to pay close attention because I'm going to quiz you with a very important question as soon as we're done. And it's not just between you and me. I'm going to ask you to share it with someone next to you. Okay? So the pressure's on. Is everybody ready? Does anybody get nervous? I was a terrible test taker. 
I'll meet you in that place. All right, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, what was the 33rd word? <laughs> no, here's my question. What is the main theme of this passage? I want you to turn to someone around you so that you can't hide later and be like, oh yeah, I knew it. Okay? I deal with too many junior hires. It doesn't work. I want you to turn to someone next to you. Be brave. What is the theme of this passage? What did you hear? There's a simple reason for doing this. Some of you might be like, what is going on? This isn't a weekly rhythm here if you're new with us. Um, sometimes when we come to Scripture, we come with the wrong lens. Sometimes we come with the wrong motive, and sometimes we come and we touch base with Scripture just for a moment, and then we move on. In each of those cases, what we find is we rarely walk away with what was intended to be heard. And so I know that you haven't had time to sit here and study this, to go over it. Some of you may have been scrambling, trying to reread it a second time, right? That's, that's all good and well. Uh, but there's probably a few different themes that were mentioned, and I'm going to give you a confession right now. For most of my life with this passage, there is one particular line that stood out to me, and that's in verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. And it seemed to me that the point of this passage was built around giving. But if we look at this carefully, what we find is there's several layers to this. And it is right to identify giving as one of the themes. But what we find is that giving is used more so as a prop than as what he's trying to drive home. It's used as an illustration. And so we're going to unpack this today, but what I want to encourage you in, it's a good thing that the Bible 
does this, that there's complexity and that there's layers to each and every passage because what that means is as we come back to it again and again and again, we can be refined, we can be sharpened in new ways. And what we find is that the word is living inactive, that we're going to be going through different circumstances in life where we come back to the same passage and we understand it a little differently because of the experiences that we're currently going through. So, in this passage, Paul is writing on behalf of the church in Jerusalem. He's asking the church in Corinth to generally, uh, generously give to support their brothers and sisters in order to help them in a time of need. So he jumps in at verse 6 and says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It, we, we always assume that because of the next verse, this verse is talking about finances. But Paul is using a broad and general illustration and then grabs giving in the next verse to help us see what he's talking about. But what he's doing here is he's saying, hey, where you work hard in your life, what you're going to find is that's probably going to have a way of paying dividends, Right? Where you are committed, where you are focused, where you are engaged, you're going to find that there's fruit produced. And so we have to be careful as believers what we give ourselves to because if we're producing fruit that isn't of the Lord, we're going in the wrong direction. And so he says to pay attention here, to be purposeful, to be intentional about what we do because the principle is true that when you work hard, you often receive more. Now, if I were to give a bag of seed to one farmer, and I gave three bags of the same size to another farmer, which one's going to plant more? Generally, we assume the guy with three bags. But what if the guy with three bags doesn't steward them well? What if the guy with three bags only ever gets around to planting the first bag, and he didn't pay attention to what season he was planting in. He's out there in January plowing through the snow. Right? There's a truth to this principle that the one who works hard doesn't just work hard for the sake of working hard. They're intentional about when they work hard, about how they work hard, about who they invite into their work. Right? And that's what we are being called to pay attention to as believers in our living out the mission that God has put us on. That's what Paul is calling us to here. But then we come to verse 7, and he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is a great example because it's something that needs to be addressed. The church in Jerusalem is struggling. And so let's talk about giving for a second. And first of all, your giving should never be influenced by the people around you. Your giving should always be influenced by your interaction and time with God and what he has prompted and compelled you to do. It is always based on the spiritual enrichment in your life and how God is moving in and through you. 
It's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. It is communicating with your heart, Lord, I surrender this to you. You've entrusted it to me as a steward, and I'm giving it back to you in this way, and I'm trusting that you're going to take care of my needs because this is how much I'm giving, right? This is how I'm able to contribute. And so as we look at this today, what we're going to find is that Paul flips this whole thing on its head because typically when we look at this, we come to it with the understanding of, okay, what does God expect me to give? Like if I'm being evaluated, what type of performance do I need to have in this area of giving? And Paul's like, no, that, that's not at all what he's talking about. Okay, let's not walk away with that interpretation of what we have here. Instead, this morning we're talking about receiving what God wants to give us. What we learn in this passage, first and foremost, is it's not about us. Okay? He's inviting us in, but it's about him. Yes, it offers insight to giving that is helpful, but the passage is hardly about giving. In fact, of the nine verses, only one and a half have anything to do with giving. But can we get a show of hands? And my hand's up on this one, so you're not alone. How many of you said giving for the theme? Right? So many of us walked away with that interpretation. That's what we saw, and in the past, that's what we've seen. But let's take a look at some of the layers Let's take a look at some of the complexity of what's going on in this passage because ultimately, God is doing a different work here. Paul is inviting us into thinking about the ministry of the gospel in a different way, and he's trying to help us see how we can be partnering with what God is doing. There's a story of a father who loved his daughter deeply, and early on, he decided that he was going to be very intentional with her. That when he got home from work, he wasn't going to sit down and kind of recover for a bit, and he wasn't going to be busy working on house projects, but he was going to immediately check in on her. He was going to try and do something with her. Maybe it was homework that she needed to work through, teach her some disciplines, or maybe it was uh, playing dress-up because that's her favorite game. Daddy didn't really like wearing lipstick, but we love our kids, right? One day... For her birthday, her sixth birthday, he decided to buy her just a play necklace to help her feel more like a princess. And she loved that necklace, right? She loved it, and she wore it all the time. She treated it like it was a real necklace made of real pearls. She would take it off at night. She would hang it up. She would clean it to make sure it's not dirty. And every morning, she would put it back on. She'd wear it wherever she went. She loved her necklace. But a few years later, dad came home from work, and as he came in, he called her to come downstairs and to sit next to him on the couch, and she came. And he looked at her and he said, sweetie, can I, can I have your necklace? And she thought that was odd. He had never asked before, so she asked why. And he said, well, I think it's time to be done with it. Can I have it, please? And she said, Dad, I don't want to be done with it. And he leaned forward a little bit more firmly, and he said, please give me the necklace. And she had this expression come across her face where she was in total disbelief. 
She began to tear up a little bit and to cry a little bit, and she decided after a moment to listen. She took the necklace off, and she handed it to her dad. And he grabbed it from her, and he took it, and he put it in his back pocket. But when he pulled his hand back out, he handed her a little black box. She opened the little black, black box, and it was a real necklace made with real pearls. A big smile comes across her face. She lunges forward and says, Thank you, Daddy, right? She's very excited. So many times that's what God wants to do with us. So many times we're hanging on to what we have and we're saying, I don't want to give it. And God's saying, but I have a way in which I want to enrich your life. I have something new that I want to give you. I have something different that I want to build in you. And unless you're willing to partner with me and to work with me and to give freely with joy in your heart, then this can't be given. This is the way that God works in our lives over and over again. And this is what we're going to be exploring as we work through this passage. So let's take a look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you go back one verse, we're talking about giving, and then all of a sudden now we're talking about abounding insufficiency. Paul has shifted. He's used giving as a prop, as an illustration, to talk about the sufficiency of God. He's saying, don't you understand that as you give freely, as you surrender freely to the Lord, as you enter into ways of giving financially, of giving your time, of giving your abilities and talents to love and to serve other people, as you purposely enter into different areas of ministry or just resting in God's presence, that he spiritually enriches you and grace abounds in your life. God wants to do a work in our lives that is new and different, but we don't get to experience and personally know the sufficiency of God unless we actually have the faith to trust God. And so there's this call to understand that as we give, there's this continual living river that pours into our life. And we get to see and to know the sufficiency of Christ in our life. But more than that, what we find is that there's a way in which it inspires and enables us because Paul then says that you may abound in every good work. There's a sense in which you giving financially helps you to imagine new ways to give to the Lord. There's a sense in which your participation in the gospel, maybe it's a gift of evangelism that God has given you, and you go out and you begin to evangelize. As you evangelize, God is going to continue to lead you and to guide you, to mold you and shape you, and what you're going to find is that you have passions for other areas of ministry as well that you never knew existed. And God is going to build this up from within you. He's going to help you to see that he's able to do all kinds of good work through you, that you're not limited to just one area of serving his kingdom. And so we learn how to surrender more and more. God expands our horizons for the type of ministry he's calling us to. And what we find is that he continually wants to keep us in a place where we have to take another step of faith where we have to enter into something that we're not comfortable, where we're, we feel like we're having to give him that necklace again. And the question each and every time is, are you willing to surrender to the Lord 
what is already his? Are you willing to take a step of faith, trusting that God is sufficient and that he's going to pour into and invest in your life, that he's going to enrich you in a new way as you partner with him in the ministry of his kingdom? Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely. Okay, we're not talking about finances anymore. We're talking about every good work. He's given you your gifts. He's given you your abilities. He's given you your health. He's given you your family. He's given you your friends. Everything in your life has come from God. He has distributed freely. And before we move on from that, why on earth would we ever think that if we give back to him, that he's not going to continue to give to us? Why would we ever be nervous that if we surrender this to God, that somehow we're going to miss out or we're going to lose on something? Because that arises in the back of our mind, doesn't it? We struggle with that at times. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So now we've moved from the sufficiency of God to the righteousness of God. The gifts that you have in your life is coming from a place of the goodness of God. It's his very character in nature to love you, to build you up, to encourage you, to draw you towards himself. That even when you are stubborn, even when you are struggling, even when you fall short time and time again, that he gently comes back alongside you and draws you to himself into his righteousness. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower. So all of your gifts, all of your talents, all of your abilities, all of your assets have been given to you by God. That's what Paul is explicitly saying. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So now we're not talking about God's righteousness, but that that righteousness has been given to you. That as you enter into the ministry that he has designed your life to participate in, what happens is there's this giving of the Holy Spirit as you become a child of God, and that Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And as the Spirit has his way with you and you learn to take new steps of faith and you continue to seek after the Lord in new ways, God is doing a refining and purifying work. And what you're finding over time is that God is changing your character to be more like his. There's a righteousness that's being imputed to you because of the Holy Spirit. And we have access to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Paul's starting to talk about the gospel. He's helping us to see how this is all intertwined. And so we see this idea of your righteousness. And what we find is that Paul is not focused on teaching about giving. I'm going to continue to push on that. What he's doing is he's showing us that God is the provider of all things. He is sufficient for us in all things, not just finances, but emotionally, spiritually, physically. In every area of your life, that when we lean into God's plan, when we have faith in who he is, when we trust him, what we find is that God's plan, where we are broken, God is sufficient. 
Where we are at a loss, God knows what to do. Where we are hurting, God brings comfort and he meets us in that place. When we are in need of materials and we rest in his presence and we trust him to be our provider, what happens more often than not is he provides. When we realize that we are utterly wicked and sinful and we've continued to try to live life our way over and over and over. He redeems. In every way, God is sufficient to meet the needs of our life. Paul is making sure that we see how the gospel of Jesus Christ is at play in even things like giving. And that it's not about any type of performance or evaluation of what God expects of us and what dollar amount he's asking me to to give. No, we learn to give joyfully. We learn to give freely because we have received freely and he has given joyfully. It's the Abrahamic covenant. We believe that God wants to give us a lot. And with open hands, we receive what he wants to give us. And generously, we give it away, believing that he will continue to repeat that cycle. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, I just want to hit on this quickly, and then we're going to move on. But this is not saying if you give $100 to the church, God's going to give you $200, okay? This is not some type of prosperity piece. Rather, what he's saying here is as you learn to partner with the kingdom of God, as you kind of step in and you're all in with what God is doing and you're surrendered to him and you're giving your time, you're giving your assets, you're, you're giving whatever it is that you're able, your abilities, that God is going to find new ways to build in mercy. He's going to find new ways to build in blessing. He's going to find new ways to build in grace. And you might not own a dime at the end of your life. But what you're going to find is that the places where you were deeply broken, where you were way off base, where you weren't surrendered, where you were totally lost, even though you thought you knew what you were doing, and then later you realized you had no idea what you were doing. You're going to find that God's working in those areas, that he's building something new in you. Now, let's take a look at verses 12 to 15. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, okay, this is accomplishing real meaningful ministry to other people, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And he explains that a little bit. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Why? Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. First and foremost, what they celebrate and what they care about is that there are brothers and sisters around the world who are leaning into God's purposes. And that encourages them. That builds them up that strengthens their faith in the Lord and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you. So in response, 
They're going to glorify God, and they're going to long for you, and they're going to pray for you. It's going to be this reaction where they orient towards God because you were oriented towards God. You see, this is not just about giving. This is actually about knowing Christ and making Christ known. This is actually about being a full-on participant of the gospel and reaching people by whatever means that we are able. That first and foremost, we are surrendered and submitted to him in all that we do. And as we seek after him, as we spend time in his presence, as we learn what it means to be enriched spiritually, what we're going to find is there's going to be days that we accidentally point someone towards God. There's going to be days that we kind of like say something on purpose and it just lands on them in a way that drives them towards God. And then there's going to be the days where we're working hard saying, Lord, how can I reach this person? Lord, I want to lift this person up to you. And we're going to come again and again and again to the Lord on behalf of other people and God's going to move powerfully in their life. As we focus on God, the natural output in time is that it radically impacts the people around us. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, and then to close it all up, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Not thanks be to you for your gift, for your time, for your efforts. God gave you all of that. Praise the Lord that he gave you all of that and that you can freely give it away knowing that he's going to continue to give, knowing that he's going to continue to supply all of your needs. It's when we dive into passages like this one that I find myself walking away with a sense of awe at the layers, at the complexity, and at the way that the gospel through and through is consistent in Scripture. And we continually are enlightened in different ways as we read the Bible. And it's, it's just one of those things that reminds us that the Bible is living and active, right? That we can come back again and again and that we can have this new glimmer of wisdom, this new insight to the person of God. And that's what we have to ask as we come back to it, right? What does this teach me about God? How does this help me to know him? And the reason we ask that question with every passage is because it's when we focus on the person, the character, the nature of God, that we just walk away astonished. That we begin to realize that it's not just that this life is about him, but he is completely and totally worthy of everything that I could ever conceive to give him in every way that I were to try, in every way that I were to enter into his presence. He is completely and totally worthy of that and so much more. It's as we evaluate God's greatness, his holiness, his power, that we find ourselves taking a step back and just saying, wow. And really what it does is it inspires this sense of reverence in us. Reverence is an attitude of humility that's deeply rooted in both respect and honor. 
The Hebrew word is yar, and in its literal sense, it means fear. Not fear in the sense of, I'm afraid I'm about to be attacked by someone, but fear in every other sense of the word. Fear in the sense that because God is perfect in his holiness, if you were to stand next to him, even for a moment, you would recognize every tiny infraction for your entire life. You would recognize the depravity of your ruin and how broken you actually are. And the same goes for his righteousness. The same goes for his purity. As, as we look at his raw power, his ability to just do whatever he pleases, there's a sense of awe and reverence for that. And as we spend meaningful time reflecting on that, what it does is it drives this deeper respect. It drives this deeper, uh, humble posture where our desire becomes to honor the Lord. Our desire becomes to worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, God provides a constant flow of mercy and grace. And what he does is he slowly reveals himself over time. And the reason is because if he just simply revealed himself to us today, if he just showed him himself to us, like if he just revealed our eyes to see his glory, we would be wrecked by it. So instead he comes alongside us and over time helps us to slowly see it, but he also is slowly building righteousness in us. He's slowly imputing his holiness to us. He's making us more and more like him so that as we learn about more and more of who he is, he's, it's less of a threat, it's less of a ruin for us, and we're able to grapple with that more. He's patient with us, and he moves us along slowly. And he does this because he is so incredibly loving and good to us. So a couple of weeks ago, Tim shared with you that this word reverence is our word for the year. Sometimes people grab a word at the beginning of the year and they say, I'm going to claim that word for this year. I'm going to try to embrace that and learn that uh, in my life. And this is my challenge for us this year, that we as a church, not Jordan, not the pastors, not the elders or the deacons, but that we collectively as a church would agree to hang on to this word reverence and ask the question, what does it mean for me to become more reverent in my relationship with God? What does it mean for me to intentionally study his word closely with a posture of reverence? What does it mean for me to purposely set aside time for prayer and worship in a posture of reverence that will inspire greater reverence. To consistently reflect on the person of God and readily proclaim who he is as an act of humbling myself before him. I think if we do this collectively as a church, what we're going to find is at the end of the year, there's going to be new ways in which we worship God. I think our horizons 
for the ways in which we know to proclaim his name, to worship him, to rest in his presence, to receive his mercy and his grace are all going to be impacted if we truly collectively aim to be reverent before God on a day-to-day basis. Not only do I want to invite you into claiming this word for the year, but I want to invite you to memorizing this verse and claiming this verse for a year. It's Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, which is with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. What might God do? How might the Lord strengthen our faith collectively? In what ways would he reveal himself to us afresh? I want to challenge you to really write this word on different cards, put it around your house, to be intentional about spending time with the Lord, to be intentional about making adjustments in your habits so that you can be reverent before God. And to help us do that, I want to encourage you to memorize this verse, to write it in different places, and just read it from time to time, and to reflect on the fact that true and acceptable worship of God is with reverence and awe. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for who you are. And we want to praise you for who you are. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the creator of all things. You are the giver of all that is good. Lord, help us to worship you. Help us to be reverent of you. Lord, I pray for us as a body that as we study your word, we would stand in awe of you. I pray that as we enter into our prayer times with you, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would help us to truly worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we want to be a church that's committed to you, that's committed to loving you, to seeking you, to knowing you with all that we are. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to receive all that you want to give us, knowing that all that you have to give us is so much better. We commit it to you in your name. Amen.